Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, I'm probably going to be dating myself by sharing this, and some of you are going to be like, why is he talking about this? But when I was a little kid, one of my favorite television shows growing up was the 60s sitcom Bewitched. Now, those of you that are over 45 know what I'm talking about. Those of you under 45, you can YouTube it. Okay, so Bewitched. It's the story of Samantha. She was a good witch who was married to a mortal named Darren Stevens. Darren Stevens was a professional businessman. He was kind of a bumbling salesman. They had a daughter, Tabitha, and they also had, she had a a mother, Endora, who was the meddling mother-in-law. And the famous thing from Bewitched, if you remember, when she was going to cast a spell, what did she do? She twitched her nose. It was the famous twitching of the nose that cast a spell, and usually the plot revolved around somebody having a spell and having it to be um, overdone and, and all these different things. It was, a, it was an innocent 60s sitcom. It was one of those weird sitcoms in the 60s that started in black and white and then later on went to color. And then, then the husband changed halfway through. You know, like you, the next season, like, she's got a different husband. A different actor play, played her husband. Um, but it was one of those kind of innocent shows with witches and magic that, you know, you didn't really think a lot of. It was, okay, it was bewitched. But there's something far more sinister than a 60s sitcom called Bewitched. Here's what's sinister. Here's what's dangerous. Is when a church begins to fall prey to a distorted, false, misunderstood gospel and false teaching and a church can be bewitched by doctrinal error now when you succumb to doctrinal error when you succumb to false teaching you can't just twitch your nose and get rid of it like samantha it takes something far more important far more powerful to overcome a misunderstanding or distortion of the gospel And so this morning, what I want us to do is to explore this passage of Scripture, Galatians chapter 3, and you will understand why I bring up the sitcom Bewitched. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Now here's the big idea. 
Here's the central theme, the big thrust of what this passage of Scripture is teaching. It's simply this. We are initially saved by the gospel of grace, but we also continually grow in the gospel of grace. We are initially saved by the gospel of grace, but we also continually grow. Now, you can say it another way. Let me say it a different way. You get in to the Christian faith by grace, and you go on in the Christian life by grace. You see, there's a temptation among Christians to think that once I get saved by grace, I get in by grace, but once I'm saved, the rest of it's up to me. I've got to live life in the flesh. I've got to live life in my own power. I get in by grace, but I live the Christian life in my own flesh, by my own works. And this passage of Scripture says, no, you get in by grace and you stay by grace. You grow by grace. You continue by grace, by the gospel. And they are not understanding this. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to understand three issues, three areas that emerge from this text. So first of all, let's first look at the problem. What's the problem? The problem from this passage of Scripture is the demonic seduction of forgetting the gospel. Now, go back to chapter 1 for just a moment and look at verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6, this is really how Paul starts the letter. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. They're in the process of turning. They're in the process of deserting the gospel. And Paul is astonished back in chapter 1, verse 6. Here in chapter 3, verse 1, he is also astonished. Some translations say, you idiot Galatians, how can you be so idiotic? You foolish Galatians, I'm flabbergasted. I'm upset. I'm in a quagmire here. I don't understand what you're doing, Paul's saying. You are being bewitched. Now, when he says, oh, foolish Galatians, was the bewitching because they lacked knowledge or they lacked intelligence? Was this an issue of IQ? No, it wasn't an issue of IQ or intelligence. They were being bewitched. It was a seduction. Now, what does the word bewitch mean? It's an interesting word. I think almost all translations I looked this week, almost all English translations use the word bewitched. It means to cast an evil eye. It means to put someone under a spell. It means to have a magnetic pull over someone where you have power over them. To bewitch someone. Now, obviously, these people, these Galatians, weren't under a literal magic spell. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not like these Judaizers, these false teachers had come and literally cast a spell over them. And so Paul is using some exaggerated language here. He's being kind of facetious. He's saying, somebody's put you under a spell. Someone's bewitched you. But before we just stop and say, okay, Paul's being exaggerated, Paul's using hyperbolic language, before we just move on from that, there is an element to truth that almost all false teaching stems from Satan himself. Every underlying false doctrine comes from demonic influence. Now, there's times where there's human ignorance where you just don't know, but, but most false teaching comes because 
behind it all is the devil in his seductive ways. What did Jesus say about the devil in John 8, 44? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but he says this to them, you are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, the devil, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Who's the devil? He's the father of lies. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's cunning. He's deceitful. He's a liar. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It is, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan does not show up in a red cape and a pitchfork. He shows up as an angel of light to fool people into believing falsehoods. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Demonic teachings. And then 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So they're being bewitched by false teaching, and behind it's all Satan. But the question is, what are they being bewitched to believe? What's this quote-unquote spell that they're under? Well, here's Paul's point. He's saying, Galatians, listen, you're acting foolishly because here's what you believed. At first, you accepted the gospel of grace, that it's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You understand the imputed righteousness of Christ. You understand the gospel. All these things that we've been talking about the past three or four weeks. He says, listen, Galatians, you started believing this, but now you're adding works to it. You're adding circumcision to salvation. You're adding kosher dietary laws to circumcision. And not only are you adding these things to initial salvation, but you're saying in order to continue to be saved, you've got to keep adding these works of the law. So these false teachers were coming in and they were distorting the gospel. They were confusing the gospel. They were um, distracting them from the truth. And remember last week we talked about the importance of doctrinal purity. If we don't get doctrinal purity right, everything else goes out the window. And so they are being bewitched by the demonic influence to distort the very gospel of grace. And Paul says, I've had enough. You foolish Galatians, I'm astonished. I'm shocked. How can you fall for this? Who's got you under this spell? So that, number one, is the, the problem. Paul's exasperated. Paul uses exaggerated language. Paul uses hyperbolic language. You're being bewitched. You're being seduced. You're under this spell, and you've totally forgotten the gospel of grace. You're being foolish, you Galatians. So that's the problem, number one. So if there's a problem, the second thing we need to look at this morning is, okay, what's their need? Or what's the answer? What's their need? What do they need to overcome this delusion, this bewitching? Here's what Paul says. Here's the, here's the need. They need a renewed vision 
of the finished work of Christ. This is very, very important. What do these Galatians need to have this quote-unquote spell broken? Here's what's very interesting that Paul does not say. Paul does not start by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Let me give you three steps on how to, how to overcome this. Let me give you seven principles. Let me give you five happy hops to figure out how to get into heaven. Let me give you a list of things to do. Surprisingly, Paul does not give one thing for these Galatians to actually do. But what he does is he says, listen, you need to have a renewed vision of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Look at the end of verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They had lost that grip, that vision, that seeing of Christ and him crucified. Now, the Galatians were not there when Jesus died on the cross. So they did not physically see Jesus die on the cross. So what is Paul saying when he says, you're, you're forgetting Jesus Christ publicly portrayed before you? What's Paul saying there? Well, Paul is using a metaphor. Paul is using a metaphor about the powerful, vivid way in which he first shared with them the cross of Christ. So those that are bewitched, those that are falling into doctrinal error, the first thing they need is not a list of things to do. The first thing they need is to have their vision of Christ and Him crucified renewed so that they can see the glories of the cross. That word publicly portrayed there, it, it carries the idea in the ancient. The closest thing that we have in our culture to what it meant back then is to put something up on a billboard to put something up on a billboard, to publicly placard the, the cross on a billboard. And what, what Paul's saying is as if, okay, here's what's happened. You've seen Christ in my preaching publicly on this billboard in all of its glory and all of its majesty, and somebody's come along with a spray paint can, and they've sprayed graffiti over the billboard to obscure its vision, and you can't see Jesus anymore. His concern was this. Listen, Galatians, when, you, when I first came to you, when I preached that gospel to you, when I, when I talked about the cross, when I talked about the glories of Jesus, when I, when I talked about what he did there at Calvary, you were overjoyed. You received it. You were mesmerized. Your eyes were captured by the glory of Christ and all of his finished work. But now that same joy, that same excitement, that same vision of Christ and him crucified, you're under a spell and you don't see that anymore. Jesus has to be publicly portrayed as crucified. The abiding effects of the cross need to always be before our eyes and our ears. Think about how Paul preached. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The cross is the power of God. Galatians, you've forgotten that. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, we preach Christ 
crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. There's power in that. There's wisdom in that. There's glory in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brothers, did I not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came and I preached the gospel to you in power and in wisdom, and you received it, and you saw in your mind's eye the agonies of Calvary and what Jesus did there, and you received that with joy. Listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul says, listen, Galatians, when I came to you, I preached the gospel. I preached the cross, and it meant something to you. It was powerful to you. You not only received it just as, as mere words, but it was the power of God, and you received it with full conviction, and you had before your eyes the glory of Jesus Christ, and you were irresistibly drawn to that glory, and now you're under a spell, and you can't see it, and you've forgotten it. And you need to have Jesus Christ and him crucified always before your eyes. You see, it's the same for us today. You can become so distracted by so many different things. And you can get sidetracked. And your hearts can begin to wander. And you can fill your mind with so many different trivial pursuits that don't really matter that at the end of the day, your eyes are not on Jesus, but on everything else. And those things tend to occupy your heart and your mind instead of Jesus. You see, we often think that the gospel and the cross is for non-believers. We need to preach the gospel so that lost people can get saved. Amen. But do you realize that we as believers need the cross just as much Paul is writing to a Christian church here. You see, some people think the gospel, the cross, is just the bare minimum information a person needs to get saved. They look at it like this. It's the entry ramp on the freeway of the Christian life, the gospel is. And once you get on the entry ramp, once you get on the freeway, you've got all these other important things to deal with. Let me submit to you, the gospel and the cross is not the entry ramp to the freeway. It's the entire freeway system that goes from coast to coast. And it's meant to be enjoyed. It's, meant to, it's, like, a, it's like a cross-country excursion. I would think I was talking to somebody earlier just going, yeah, Route 66, you're taking a Route 66. It's like taking Route 66 across the country. You're, you're meant to enjoy the gospel, to see Christ in all of his glory. And these foolish Galatians had been bewitched by a false gospel. And Paul says, listen, we're going to go back to the basics. The last thing you need, Galatians, is a list of things you need to do. What you need is you need to have your vision renewed. What did we sing earlier? When I survey the wondrous cross. Now, you may wonder, why does he use the word survey? When I survey, what does survey mean? To look. To look closely. To look deeply. To scan the horizon. We need to have our eyes fixed constantly on the wondrous cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, 
My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, see from his head. Okay, the, the, the hymn tells you to see it. See it. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? So when you're tempted to wander, when you're tempted to get sidetracked in your faith, when you're dabbling in sin, when you're tempted to embrace false teachings, when you're tempted to add works to your obedience in order to make you acceptable for God, the last thing you need is a list of things for you to do. What you need is the gospel preached to you so that you can see afresh Christ in Him crucified. You need to see it. You need to remind yourself of that. That's why every Sunday when you come into this place, you need to have the gospel preached to you, even if you are a believer. I get very concerned when believers tend to tune out when the gospel's preached. You see, the gospel, the cross, should never become old hat. It should never become boring. It should never become something that's disinteresting. When the gospel's preached, when the cross is talked about, if you're a believer, you should perk up on the edge of your seat as if you're hearing it for the very first time because you need, in the depth of your soul, to be reminded of what Christ did for you and to see it, to see the cross. Not to have the billboard have graffiti over it. You need to see Christ crucified again. And that's what Paul says here. Christ was, before your eyes, publicly crucified. But you're bewitched. Okay, so we've seen two things this morning. The problem, they were bewitched. They were, they were believing false doctrine. They were being foolish. Number two, the need. The need is to have the, the renewed vision of the finished work of Christ, always have Christ before our eyes. But here's the third thing. And Paul is going to address something that will show up again and again. Or I guess not something, but someone. It's the first time he addresses someone in the book of Galatians which will show up, and that is the Holy Spirit. So here's truth number three this morning, the power. The power. The powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your salvation. Paul, for the very first time, introduces the Holy Spirit. And he does it in two different ways. He talks about our initial salvation in the Holy Spirit and then our ongoing Christian walk with the Holy Spirit. So remember what I said at the very beginning? We are initially saved by the gospel of grace, but we continually grow by the gospel of grace. And Paul's going to say the Holy Spirit is indispensable to both of those. The Holy Spirit got you into salvation. The Holy Spirit helps you to carry on in salvation. So that's what he's going to talk about, the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your salvation. Notice what he says there, verse 2. Let me just ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul says, listen, let me just ask you a question. <clears throat> did you get into this Christian life by anything that you did? Or did God start this whole thing in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit? Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began... 
a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul contrasts two things here. Was it hearing by faith or was it works of the law? And those are always the two things. Is it faith or is it works? And Paul says, listen, did you get in by works? No. Do you keep going by works? No. How did you get in? By hearing of faith. How do you keep going? By faith. It's always faith versus works. And Paul here is saying that the Holy Spirit is instrumental. So two things about the Holy Spirit. How you get into the Christian life and how you carry on in the Christian life. So let's look at the first thing. How do you get into the Christian life? Based upon the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit effectually called and regenerated us in our initial salvation. So initially, in our salvation, the Holy Spirit called you and regenerated you. He caused you to be born again. Because you can't save yourself. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You are hopeless, helpless, and hell-bound, and you can't get yourself out of this enslavement to sin, no matter how hard you try, no matter how, works, how many works you do, no, you know, circumcision, kosher dietary laws, church attendance. Paul saying none of these things get you into salvation. It's by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, 7-10. For the mind that's set on the flesh, that's a lost person, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so if you're a lost person here today and you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. You cannot submit to God. You can't do it. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, talking about us as believers, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Lost people without Jesus are hostile in mind to God, cannot save themselves, stand in opposition to God, and they are without hope. And you cannot cause this change to happen. What Paul's saying is that the Holy Spirit of God is the one who makes you a Christian. How do you become a Christian? The Holy Spirit of God makes you a Christian. By causing you to be born again. By coming and living inside of you. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3, verses 5-8 through to Nicodemus? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. If you are going to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit's got to breathe that life into you and make you a Christian. He's got to cause you to be born again. You can't born again yourself. The Holy Spirit's got to do that. James 1.18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. He brought us forth by the word. Who's that? God. 1 Peter 1.23 Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. The only way you came to saving faith is because the Holy Spirit did a work in your heart to bring you to saving faith. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12.3 Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You cannot confess Jesus as Lord unless the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do that. Romans 10, 17. 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Holy Spirit's indispensable to your salvation. You would not be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit did that work. He had to regenerate your heart. He had to cause you to be born again. He had to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. He had to overcome all those barriers to bring you to life. And the Galatians had forgotten this. That's why Paul says, let me ask you a question. Did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit by something you did? Or was it by faith? Did you begin in the Spirit your, your Christian life and now you're trying to, to be perfected by the flesh? You know, sometimes we forget the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Sometimes we think, yeah, I was, I was so good, I was so um, honorable, I was spiritually sensitive, and, and I just woke up one day and, and, and I got it all figured out, how to come to Christ. You came to Christ because the Holy Spirit convicted you. The Holy Spirit pursued you. The Holy Spirit overcame that deadness. The Holy Spirit brought you to life. The Holy Spirit caused you to be born again. You would not be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit made you a Christian. And that's what Paul's saying to them. So that's the first thing about the Holy Spirit. In our initial salvation, the gospel of grace comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But remember what I also said? You continue to grow in the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of grace. And so the second thing the Holy Spirit does is this. The Holy Spirit also indwells and empowers us to continue in our salvation. So once you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside you. The very Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Now stop and think about that for a moment. And what does He do? He gives you power upon power. He gives you grace upon grace. He gives you energy to continue to live the Christian life. You get in by grace and you go on by grace. It, the Christian life's all of grace. Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not as only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, work out your salvation, grow in your faith. How can you do that? Verse 13. For, because, here's the reason why, it is God who works in you, what is God doing in you? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What does God work in you? He gives you the ability and he gives you the desire to live the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 3, Paul rebukes them for misunderstanding this. Are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, okay, you began the Christian life by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected? Are you now trying to be complete? Are you now trying to be sanctified? Are you trying to continue in the Christian life by the flesh? They had forgotten that, yes, you get in by grace, but you continue by grace. And Paul's saying, listen, guys, you got in by... You got in by the gospel of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do you think that you can continue to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit? Why do you think you can continue to live the Christian life in the flesh? You got in by the Spirit, you continue by the Spirit. You got in by grace, you continue by grace. You got in by the gospel, you continue by the gospel. Why are you trying to perfect yourself? Why are you trying to progress by works of the law? Now, to them, that was probably circumcision. Why are you adding circumcision as a requirement? The flesh there could be circumcision, or it could just simply mean anything you attempt in your own power, apart from the Holy Spirit, to produce spiritual fruit and spiritual growth in your 
Why? So here's the issue with these bewitched Galatians. Here's the bottom line. They forgot the gospel. They forgot the gospel. They were adding circumcision, requirements, all these things on top of the gospel. And what they lost was this vision of Christ and him crucified. They lost the role of the Holy Spirit in their initial salvation. They are forgetting the role of the Holy Spirit in their ongoing Christian life. Basically, they forgot how to be a Christian. I've forgotten. Oh, yeah, I forgot it was about Christ alone in the cross. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? They had begun, been bewitched, and they'd forgotten all these things. So, let me ask you a question. Have you been bewitched? Do you forget the gospel? And more importantly, how do you, how do you keep from forgetting the gospel? How do you not be seduced by trying to work in the flesh? Well, here's the answer. It's very simple. You've got to continually be fixing your eyes on Jesus and seeing Jesus and going back to the cross of Christ. And as you continue to see Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in you to overcome sin. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, Hebrews 12, 2. ESV says, looking to Jesus. I grew up with the NIV, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Continually, continually fix your eyes on Jesus. Continually have him publicly portrayed as crucified before your eyes. Continually go back to the gospel. Continually preach the gospel to yourself. Continually sit under gospel preaching. Continually, continually, continually have Christ before your eyes as crucified. That's the only way you are going to battle sin is to have a proper vision of Jesus and him crucified. So let me, let's just bring this to bear in some practical areas where you may be struggling this morning. I'm going to do some soul care this morning, okay? So if you want a counseling session, here's your free counseling session this morning. Are you ready? Let's say you struggle with anger. Let's say you struggle with anger. Now, you can pray to God and say, God, I have a problem with anger. Please take it away. And God may do that in his sovereignty. But let's go deeper into the issue of anger. Let's, let's ask the question, why am I angry? Okay, let's think about some things. Why am I so angry? Well, maybe you're angry because you think you deserve respect and you're not getting respect that you deserve so you get angry. And you've elevated respect to an idol that gives you ultimate meaning in life. Or maybe you're angry because somebody's interfering with your comfort. And you've elevated comfort as an idol and if somebody gets in the way of comfort, it makes you angry because, gosh darn it, I deserve this. Or maybe you're angry because you like to control. And when control is taken away from you by somebody getting in your way, you get angry. What you've done, why are you angry? You've elevated control, you've elevated comfort, and you've elevated approval to a place that only Jesus is supposed to have. And that's why you get angry. It's because you're wanting these things to be your Savior instead of Jesus.
So what do you do? You look to Jesus as the only one that can truly give you purpose in your life. You look to Jesus as the only one that can satisfy. You look to Jesus as the only one that can truly meet your deepest needs. And what happens over time is that the Holy Spirit begins to replace those idols in your heart with a vision of Christ, and over time, those sins get weakened. Now, they'll never go away, but they'll get weakened. How do they get weakened? Instead of looking at yourself and creating these false saviors, you look outside of yourself and you look to Jesus. And you keep looking to Jesus. And you keep finding in Christ satisfaction. You keep finding in Christ glory. You keep looking to Jesus. You keep looking to that cross. And as you keep looking at the cross and looking away from yourself, these idols that you've elevated begin to be diminished by the Holy Spirit and Christ becomes your all in all. Okay, let's talk about lust. Well, you can muster up enough willpower to say, God, take the lust away. And in his sovereignty, God may do that. But let's dig deeper again. Why do you lust? What, what are you desiring at the ultimate level of lust? Maybe you're saying, you know what? I just want acceptance. I want control. I want pleasure. I have a sense of entitlement. I deserve pleasure. Or maybe you've been hurt by somebody, and this is your way of getting power and feeling superior or wanted. Whatever those deep needs are, at the core, you've made those things your saviors. Control's my savior. Pleasure's my savior. Acceptance is my pleasure. My savior. And what you've done is you've replaced Jesus with these deep things. And the only way to get rid of these deep sins is to look outside of yourself and look back at Jesus. No, I don't need to lust because I can find in Jesus a greater pleasure. I can find in Jesus a greater lasting satisfaction. I can find in Jesus eternal joy. I can find in Jesus the one that satisfies the deepest longings of my soul. I don't need to go to pornography. I don't need to go to lust. I don't need to do these things because these things are false saviors that I think are going to meet my need, but in the end they don't. They're shallow. They're, they're, they're They're fading. Let me look to Jesus. Okay, maybe you don't struggle with anger, maybe you don't struggle with lust, but maybe you struggle with gossip. I know how gossip spreads like a wildfire. And you can say, Lord, I have a problem with gossip, please take it away. And God may do that, but let's just ask a deeper question. Why do you gossip? Maybe you feel insecure. Maybe you have peer pressure, the fear of man we talked about a few months ago. Maybe you want to impress others. Again, all those things of why you gossip are because you've made those things your savior. I want to be accepted, that's my savior. I don't want to give in to peer pressure, I want, you know, that's my savior. I want to feel superior, that's my savior. The reason you gossip, the reason you get angry, the reason you do all these things is because that's your heart. You've created something besides Jesus as a savior, a false savior. And the way to get over that sin is to ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength to look outside of yourself and again look to Jesus. Lord, let me fix my eyes on Jesus. Holy Spirit, give me a renewed vision of Jesus. Holy Spirit, let me see that Christ died for those sins that I'm going in to to, to embrace in my heart that are false. We need to look at Jesus again and again and again. Because if not, we will be bewitched. We need to have Jesus publicly portrayed as crucified before us all the time. We need to survey the wondrous cross all the time. 
We need to continually have our vision renewed of Jesus all the time. And question, who does that? Answer, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit does that. Holy Spirit is the one who opens your eyes. Holy Spirit is the one that empowers you. The Holy Spirit's the one who began your Christian life. The Holy, One's the Holy Spirit's the one that carries you on the Christian life. The Holy Spirit's the one who's going to get you to the end. So you better be asking the Holy Spirit, Spirit, open my eyes to see Jesus. Because my eyes are bewitched, my eyes are clouded, my eyes are distracted. I'm focused on these false saviors, I'm focusing on my sin, I'm focusing on the world, I'm focusing on all these things. Holy Spirit, please take my eyes off myself and put my eyes on Jesus. I desperately need that Holy Spirit. Listen to Ephesians 1, 17-21. This is Paul's prayer. And it should be your prayer and my prayer. Ephesians 1, 17-21. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having your eyes opened. Okay, what do we need to Lord Jesus, open the eyes of my heart. To what? That you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see the glories of Christ and let that consume my thoughts so that everything about me is Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray this. Let's pray that the Lord God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. This morning, that you would open the eyes of our heart. As the song says, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Lord, we were not there when you died on the cross. So we don't physically even know what it looked like, but we've heard the gospel preached. And we've read the gospel accounts. Lord, help us to have a renewed vision this morning of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help us to realize that we began by grace and we continue by grace. We began by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for regenerating us. Thank you for living in us. Thank you for giving us the power to carry on. Forgive us for trying to perfect ourselves through the works of the flesh and not by relying upon you. So, Holy Spirit, we know that you are indispensable to our Christian life. We need you to do a work in our hearts to open our eyes. Lord, there may be many in this room that are struggling with things like anger and gossip and lust or whatever, selfishness, pride. Lord, whatever these things are, Lord, help us in this moment to find out what is the false Savior that I'm clinging to besides Jesus. And Lord, would you help us take our eyes off those false Saviors and turn them directly to Jesus. 
and we would see him crucified afresh. We would see that finished work afresh and we would realize it was on that cross that Christ, you died for me and for these sins that I struggle with. Lord, we don't want to be be bewitched. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be fooled. We want the gospel of Christ always before us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do. Sometimes we don't even know. The work you do deep in our heart, that sometimes we don't even know you're doing. So thank you. May we leave this place encouraged to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.